It is a night of reflection. Tonight marks the fourth anniversary of the passing of Lorraine Warren. And tonight, we're going to continue with our second part of the program. This is an interview that I did with Lorraine. It was two weeks after the passing of her husband, Ed. This was back in 2006. It would have been about um, mid-September the very first interview that she would offer after the passing of Ed. Today, The Conjuring, Phantoms of the Past. Some remarkable stories from a remarkable lady next, right here on the Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't float. He doesn't stand for baloney. It is such a pleasure to be with you here tonight as we go back into my archives to take a look at one of my favorite episodes. Now, I've received a lot of mixed messages uh, over the last two days regarding these replays of Lorraine Warren's interviews. Lorraine Warren is no longer with us, cannot defend herself or her husband, has no one to speak on their behalf for their legend and the lives that they lived. So... I'm not here to go after them. I'm not here to defend them. I'm just here to let a woman tell her story. And I believe that she earned that respect and right. She helped thousands of people through their lifetimes. And every chance I got to be around her, I would watch her shine. Even in her elderly state, she could not be stopped. She had more energy than all of us and would greet everybody that stood in line to say hello to her and shake their hands and, oh, honey, this and, oh, honey, that and give hugs. And I was even there for a paranormal conference in Chicago when a young upstart group called Who Forded decided to confront Lorraine. And even with their rude accusations and comments, she remained calm, she remained sweet, and she remained polite. That's the Lorraine Warren I knew, and the Lorraine Warren that I wanted to share with you over these two nights. She was truly a remarkable person with a very big heart. There's no doubt about that. And I hope that these two interviews convey some of that. And if anything, it's a remarkable opportunity to go back in time and to hear the stories from the mouth of the woman who lived them. And tonight, There are a lot of stories. This is a really cool episode because we're going to cover so many different aspects of her life with Ed investigate, and she'll touch on different topics throughout. So sit back, relax, and enjoy because this one is a lot of fun. Evening, we've got a great show for you. We've got the lovely Miss Lorraine Warren is joining us for her second appearance on our show this evening. 
And for those of you not familiar with Lorraine, she was one of the first investigators called in on the Amityville horror case. And last time we talked to Lorraine, we were talking to her about how she and Ed met. She brought us all the way from the meeting and their background and a little bit of history of their own hauntings all the way up to their first investigation. This evening, we're going to invite Lorraine in to the show. As most of you know, a few weeks ago, we lost Ed, and Lorraine was kind enough to still uh, come on this evening and share some uh, stories with us and talk to us a little bit more about the paranormal and keep the uh, the fires burning. So, Lorraine, thank you very much for joining us on the show this evening. Welcome. As I said, we left people the last time just kind of wrapping up with the the first real investigation that you and Ed had gone out on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the questions that I did have, have you ever seen actual ectoplasm, real slime, like from the Ghostbusters movie? <laughs> Is that from something? The Ghostbusters movie. Have you ever actually the seen residue? I, I have seen spirits materialize, and I have watched things dematerialize, and I have watched exorcisms of individuals. When it goes into the sensationalism of these Ghostbuster things, it is not really in that manner that we witness it. For instance, I'll give you one example. We were in um, Borley Church, which is the most haunted church in all of the UK. And we were with a group of researchers, all experienced people were from the very prestigious Ghost Club of Great Britain and the British Society for Psychic Research. You were with people who had experience and like that. Um, So Ed was sitting in the first pew of the church, and he had a bad cold in the church. It was in the middle of the night. The church was very, very damp and cold. It's an ancient, I mean, it is really ancient. Okay. And they still have uh, services going on there. So, oh, okay. Anyway, Ed asked me to ask Harry Price, who was a researcher who had researched this many, many, many years ago. And um, as a result of it, he documented it into a book. That intrigued my husband before we ever got involved. Mm -hmm. So we knew that when we did get involved in research in the UK, that that was one place we were going to be going through to see if we were able to experience it. We were able to document further in this day and age what was going on. So aside from our own people that were with us Mm -hmm. and uh, these other professionals, There's more than one thing that's going to happen now. This is the one night. I went up to the altar, I knelt, and I said a prayer in this Anglican church, and then turned and sat on one of the steps coming down from the altar. Now, remember, Ed is in the first pew, and the others are really just spread around in the church. Everybody is very, very quiet. It is extremely dark. Outside, it's just a lane that's there. There's no traffic, Mm -hmm. no traffic at all. Borley Rectory is right directly across the street, but the original Borley Rectory, that had burnt down. And that don't mean that historic hauntings are gone, because many times they have a way of hanging on or hanging around, I mm-hmm. should say. So I'm sitting there in the dark, and I asked for Harry Price if there was any way he was there and that he could help us in any way. I asked for the very first minister that was to report the phenomena that had occurred in 
head was bowed, and they could see a white beam of light come in through one wall of the church. They could see this. They commented, and I didn't open my eyes. I kept my head bowed and continued in talking to Harry Price, this minister. As a result of it, what we all heard, something hit the ancient slate floor. Hmm. We heard this. Then it seems that it started to glow what they could see, not from the position that I was in, but from the position where they were sitting. They could see this glow. This is the most beautiful thing of all, is to see the Borley nun is a woman who was walled up alive in that church. There used to be a monastery there, and there was also a convent. And, you know, it is said that there was an affair between uh, a priest and the nun, and as a result of it, she was walled up alive. Well, that is the type of tragedy that can bring about the ghost syndrome. Now, as they watched, at that time, opened my eyes because the flashes were all going off. She just glided right down the aisle. I want to tell you, that was incredibly beautiful. Yeah, it sounds amazing. That was just absolutely beautiful. And then this, what we heard, this noise, Ed started to come close to me. He tried to come up the steps, mm-hmm. and he was wearing a trench coat. And you could hear the slap on his leg as he wow. was walking, like on his thigh, mm-hmm. right in and, and that area. You could hear it, and he backed off. Then they watched something that was taking place. They did not understand what was taking place, but they watched. Ed, for some reason, felt that I was in some danger. I didn't think that I was, but he was worried. So he went all the way in the back of the church and put the lights on. It was one of these old-fashioned things that you have to turn to put the light on. They're very old-fashioned type of fixture. Anyway, what it was, was a coin. It was an apport something that had dematerialized at one point and reappeared at another. And it was an 1863 Victorian penny. The rectory was built in 1863, so it could have been the minister who gave me the airport. But Harry Price was a coin collector. Oh, really? So it could have been him. A few years after that, in fact, I can tell you, it was the beginning of 1986, and we were going to be speaking at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So our grandson, who was in grad school at that time, he wanted to join us and drive up there with us. He had a girlfriend there that was in medical school, that you know, and they were going to be getting together. So it was very nice because it helped because Ed was recuperating from a heart attack that he had in 85. Okay. And this all ties in with this one story, so that's why I want to finish it. Sure, please do. There was two beds in our room, and Ed laid on one bed, and I laid down on the other. We were exhausted. Okay. It was it was very trying ride because the weather was horrible, and it was... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, a bad, bad storm, and it was, it's bitter cold up there. We lay down across the bed, and all of a sudden, I looked up, and you know these old buildings, these old, well, this is an old hotel, and over the doors, they have like a window. Right. In these historic, well, it came from there, and I watched this white mist that you're referring as ectoplasmic material. Mm -hmm. I watched it come through and follow the ceiling line all the way along. It was really amazing. Ed's got a pillow just over his eyes laying mm -hmm. there. So he don't know what's going on. And I said, who are you? And what do you want? And I tried to stay very calm. I watched. And I said, who are you? And it was Harry Price. And I said, what do you want? And why are you here? He said, I don't want Ed to be as foolish as I after I had my heart attack. And he went on about that. And then he psychically took me to a location. And this location, I didn't know really where it was, but we were able to document all of it. And he had married a woman of some means, and she had a summer place, another home in Germany. He took me there, and he had these big boots on, like, what, what they call them, mucklucks. Okay, and I sure. had these big boots on, mm -hmm. and there was water there. It was kind of, you know, it looked like maybe it had stormed, and it was kind of swampy right there near this house. And I walked with him, and, and he talked to me a lot about personal issues. And Ed always felt, somehow, he was always kind of there. There were many aspects of their lives that kind of paralleled. Okay. Then phone rings mm -hmm. in our hotel room, and I don't want to stop what I'm doing. And I pick it up, and it's one of the doctors from the university, mm -hmm. and every time that we go there, they have a um, like a reception for us. Sure. He was calling about that, and he was calling also about the fact of our introduction, because he was going to be introducing us at our formal presentation we were going to be doing for the whole student body. So I shook head, and I said, please take this call. That's all I said, and I laid right back down again on the other bed, and it continued. Then I heard Ed hang up, and then he said, what's the cigar smoke, what, or is that pipe smoke? What is that? What, what's the smoke in here? To close it, I said, how do I really know it's you? How do I really know it's you, right. Mr. Price? I said it twice mm -hmm. to him. And he said, watch the papers tomorrow. And trying to remember the name. And the name that Harry Price gave me was, was Cosmos. That, and he's telling me this. He closes with me in that way. I thought, I have to call Dr. Varma back. I didn't want to slight him. I wanted to explain to a certain extent what, <laughs> what went on. Right. You know? And... So, Sorry, I was astral projecting at the time you called, Doctor. We couldn't talk. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> I said to Dr. Varma, did you know Harry Price? Oh, my goodness, Lorraine. Why did you ask me that? I said, did you know him, doctor? He said, do you want to know the opening statement for introducing you and Mr. Warren? I said, yes. What do you do if you see a ghost? Quote, Harry Price. Wow. So the next morning, Ed really did not feel up to teaching a class. My grandson said to me, I'll go with you, Graham. I'll go over with you for class. So I went down to have breakfast. Mm -hmm. So this reporter interviewed me. I told him the story. I told him the name was Cosmos. And he wanted to know if he could get permission to cover the formal presentation. I said, I don't know. You're going to have to call the school. I can't give you that permission. I went over with Chris to teach, and somebody knocked on the door of the classroom, okay. and Chris opened the door, and he said, I have to speak to Mrs. Warren. I have to speak to her, and the name he gave me the night before mm -hmm. was Cosmos, a British seaman who died on the ship coming from Great Britain into Halifax, Nova Scotia, okay. where we were. Sure. And his obituary was in the paper. It had just come out that morning. And that's the name, Cosmos, that was in the um, obituary wow. that day. So that was your sign, huh? That was the sign that I was communicating. There's been numerous times where Very ghostly phenomena sure. has, has occurred and communication has, has been uh, proven out. But the problem with people today is uh, they're constantly looking for proof, and they are um, opening doors through Ouija boards and tarot cards and all other crazy means. You know, that brings up, uh, that brings up a good point. Why don't, we, why don't we go to a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, okay? Mm -hmm. Our guest this evening is Lorraine Warren. We'll be right back with more right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. If you're in the market looking for a home, you're looking for a place to call your own, you can start making that dream a reality. If you want to purchase a home, but you're just not sure where to start, or you've been through it before, but it's been so long, you're not sure how to begin again. Well, the first step is know your buying power. Winnie Schrader, she's a loan officer. She's my wife. Her NMLS number is 2322331. You can reach her at 763-203-9641. That's 763-203-9641. Text her or call her. She will be with you every step of the way. Buying a house doesn't have to be scary, even if it's a haunted house. Call Winnie today to get started on your journey to your brand new home. Haunted Magazine is a publication dedicated to all things paranormal and spooky. Each issue features articles, interviews, and stories about ghosts, hauntings, and other unexplained phenomena. The magazine also covers topics such as cryptozoology, UFOs, and other aspects of the supernatural. Expect to find in-depth investigations of haunted locations, first-hand accounts of ghostly encounters, and reports of paranormal events and attractions. The magazine also includes features on the latest ghost hunting technology and techniques, as well as tips for those looking to search the supernatural on their own. Issue 37, The Frights of Spring, will be in stores from March 6. So remember, don't be normal, be paranormal, and order your copy today. Join us for this amazing paranormal conference that's being held in a haunted school in Glen Beulah, Wisconsin. Haunted Midwest Ghost Tours presents Great Lakes Paranormal Conference on September 22nd through the 24th, 2023. We have some great speakers with Jason Hawes, Adam Berry, Sherry Benedetti, Lyle Blackburn, Shane Pittman, Sarah Lemos, Dave Schrader, Jeff Bellinger, along with Wisconsin's very own Chad Lewis, and many more will make this one of Wisconsin's most talked about events. We have over 40 vendors and nighttime investigations at various haunted locations with special guests. Get your tickets now at GreatLakesParanormalConference.com and find us on Facebook under the same name. Choose from VIP, General 3-Day, and Day Pass. Again, that's GreatLakesParanormalConference.com. This evening, our guest is Lorraine Warren. She's a paranormal investigator. She's also a sensitive. And before we were going to the break, she was talking about how people have been opening doors by messing with things like Ouija boards and tarot cards. And I'd like to get back to that, but I do have one question for you, if you don't mind telling us a little bit, Lorraine. Again, a little bit about your abilities, what you can do, and can you also fill in a lot of people who are not familiar with who Harry Price is as well? Harry Price was one of the most outstanding researchers of his day. 
he died about the time that my husband was born, about that time frame. He was, he was involved in research of some of the most outstanding cases in the UK. Okay. And Ed and I became involved in research of the UK in the 70s. Okay. So uh, over 30 years ago, mm-hmm. we've been involved that many years in some extremely outstanding cases. From the Enfield, England case, we worked again with the British Society for Psychic Research, and these girls would levitate, crisscross in the air, all documented, all on film, and the voice phenomena. Wow. And we were involved in that. We were involved in the only case of lycanthropy, animal possession, ever in our career. Wow. In over 50 years of research in this subject, that is the only documented case of a werewolf that we were ever able to document. And we worked with the police department over there and became honorary members of the police department. Then we became affiliated with University of Edinburgh, which is the most prestigious university in the world in the study of this work and has been given the largest grant ever given monetarily for the study of this work. And we worked with these professors and on two very haunted hotels. But let's go back to the Ouija board. Yes, please. So we just have tremendous respect for Harry Price. Harry Price was someone my husband greatly admired and did a a lot of research on his work and found him to be a very credible man. Now, have you used him as a form of spirit guide to help you in a lot of the cases that you've dealt with? I think Ed really did feel his presence, yes. And he's probably helping me. Sure. You know, I'm sure he is helping me. But right now, I know my husband is with me. It's a very, very difficult time, Dave, for me. I understand Right now, it is extremely difficult. I have not done an interview like this. You're the first one I'm doing it with. And it is very, very, very painful. I understand, and I appreciate the time that you're taking with us on this. Yeah, there's just so many emotions. Sure. Yes, we have our faith, and our faith is is very, very important. Mm -hmm. I I took care of my husband four and a half years here at at our home, Mm -hmm. and he was stricken five and a half years ago. And all of these things have their comforts, you know, your faith. And the fact of, of taking care of someone you love that deeply and on that level are on that roller coaster, you know, where you're... Right. Like one day down the next, right? Yeah, you, you're you not in full control of your emotions. Sure. You're, you're, you're just not. And as a result of it, I know that Ed, Ed is guiding me and I know that, you know, he is very much with me. But um, this... Um, incident with the Ouija board happened right here in our own country. This is one of 75% of our cases mm-hmm. involved the Ouija board. And do you think that's because people, much like yourself at this point of a point of grieving, are, are wanting some form of closure, some form of contact, that they're willing to open themselves up to the wrong ways to make these communications? Well, let, let, let me put it this way. Mm-hmm. It really isn't that. It's usually people who are looking for kicks. Right. 
that's what it is. It, it, they're really looking for proof, and they're looking for kicks. And in this particular case that I'll share with you, okay. she was a 19-year-old girl. She had a 15-year-old brother, younger brother, and then she had an older brother in his 20s. The mother worked for an insurance company, and the father worked for aircraft, and they both worked second shift. So when she was in, in school. She was in, uh, wait a minute, she was not 19. What am I saying? She was 19. She was 17 years old. She was a <laughs> senior in high school. And, and the older brother was already out of high school. He was like 21. Okay. As a result of this, she drove her own car to school, and she would come home every night, and she would communicate on the Ouija board with someone that she believed was a friend, a boy. She really believed it. She wasn't, her social life left something to be desired. She didn't really have that much of a social life. She okay. wasn't dating, mm -hmm. and she wasn't really involved socially outside of the house. So she believed she had this friend. He was giving her a lot of answers that she wanted to hear. Sure. And she made the mistake after doing this for a few months of saying, if you really are who you say you are, show me what you look like. And that was the challenge. That's when she really opened doors. Okay. And as a result of it, when I tell you that all hell broke loose in that house, all hell broke loose. Uh, that house, in the end, had to be, which was successful, exercised through the Roman Catholic Church. Wow. And Ed and I worked on that case. The Catholic uh, priest that was involved with us, he worked on that case along with us. And there was a, a television show in Hartford, Connecticut, that covered it never revealing the location of that house. Sure. And uh, that was quite a case. Now, was it just like poltergeist-type activity uh, going on in the house? The house was totally ruined inside. Wow. For instance... Well, I mean, but, but I guess what I'm asking, was it unseen forces, or was it oh, the girl off. possessed trashing the place? No, doing stuff? no, no. That was all unseen forces. Okay. And um, now, I'll give it to you, I won't give it to you in sequence, I'll tell you the outstanding events of it. Okay. We try to always keep the place manned all day and all night mm -hmm. for the family, because at one time, the family decided that they were all going to go, the husband, the wife, the three kids, and the family dog were going and staying at a hotel, uh, a motel. They were staying at a motel. Okay. And things went flying all over that place, caused a lot of damage that they had to pay for, so they went back home again. They went to his mother's house, the grandmother's, mm -hmm. and all stuff happened there, so they weren't very welcome there, of course. So all of these things continued. 
Well, can I ask now, a lot of people have the belief that poltergeist activity is nothing more than like an uh, energy or, yeah, an energy being released, especially from a pubescent teenage girl mm-hmm. that might be going through a lot of stress. So it's not really ghost-like activity. It's more of a, a PK mm-hmm. activity going on that's we, then kind of lashing out. Yeah, we, we witness a lot of that. But you have to realize, in cases like this, right. where you have, particularly a female girl, mm-hmm. more so than boys, Mm-hmm. Um, that it'll start out through movement of objects. But when they start to be extremely heavy objects, like refrigerators moving out into the middle of the room, like heavy furniture turning over, then you know that that is not the energy of any teenage girl that's bringing all of that about, but something inhuman or diabolical is now attracted because of what is going on. And the law of attraction is always our aura, the supernatural glow that surrounds our physical body. So these demons or diabolicals almost work like a, a pedophile or a child molester, in a sense, don't they? They, can. they look for the weak child that maybe feels alone and unloved mm-hmm. and then says the things that they want to hear and mm-hmm. gives them that feeling. And then once it gets entrenched in their life, then it starts wreaking havoc. Exactly. Okay. In, uh, in, in so many words, with certain cases. So now, Ed and I, uh, the priest was staying there with the family. Ed and I were speaking at a university. We came there right after we left, and both of us were dead tired. And it's, you know, probably after midnight. And um, so the husband, the wife, the daughter, and the family dog were all sleeping on the bed, or while laying down on the bed in the master bedroom. And um, the 15-year-old boy was in a sleeping bag alongside of the bed. Sure. And um, so Ed told him to go with me into the bedroom right next door. Mm -hmm. And that had twin beds. And I laid down on the bed closest to the wall, he laid down on the bed that was right near the door. Ed commanded in the name of Jesus Christ for what was there to reveal itself. With that, the bed rose up in the air with my husband, the man of the house, his wife, daughter, and dog all on the bed. Wow. With this, the drawers in the bureau kept going in and out so fast that you couldn't even count. I heard the boy next to me, the 15-year-old, I heard him whimpering. I turned very, very slowly Mm -hmm. over, and I could see a space between the bed and his body. He was hovering right in the air. So many, I'd say maybe 18 inches above the bed. And with that, with that, he was like he was propelled so fast against, right against the door casing, mm-hmm. which practically knocked him out. The priest and, and the father and Ed came and took him out in the kitchen. And so I'm lying there. I'm just lying there. I didn't 
I didn't get up. I didn't want to add to the confusion and all out there. And I just stayed there. And you pray. And I always, always, always pray for everyone I love that these forces that we're trying as lay people to deal with don't get back at someone I love. Anyway, I'm doing this. I can hear a baby crying. I can hear nails being pulled away from thick pieces of wood. I can hear all these crazy sounds. There's no baby. There's, There's no nails being pulled. And then I just shut my eyes for a brief moment, and I open them for a minute, and I can see this ghostly form going down the hall. And I say, honey, honey, honey. And the priest answered me. He said, Lorraine, we see it. They were in the living room, which was right down the hallway. And Ed commanded in the name of Jesus Christ for what was there to leave. With that, why Ed is doing that, the two fireside chairs on either side of the fireplace, they, I don't know any other way of explaining it that they walk. The legs, they just keep going. Right. And they, they pinned Ed right into the corner of the living room. Unreal. They just pinned him right in. And um, then I just laid across the bed And as I laid across the bed, because your emotions are really, you know, running. Oh, sure. Crazy. I would bet, yeah. (laughs) With all of this going on. And you don't know what is next. So my eyes are closed, and I hear metal hit wood floors. There was no wood floors. Every floor, even the kitchen and the bathrooms, were all carpeted. Okay. The whole house was carpeted. Uh, but that doesn't matter when they have to project a sound like that. And I opened my eyes and I want to tell you unless you experience it and not too many people ever have mm-hmm. I watched as those huge, big flush doors dematerialized in front of me. Mm-hmm. And you're in awe. You're really in awe of it. Sure. And you're constantly relying on your faith. And within seconds, I hear the priest and the man of the house yell. Ed was just coming in from the living room through the dining room. But the priest and the father were in the kitchen. They had opened the door. The priest wanted the man of the house to go down into the family room and get something for him. And as he opened the door to go down the stairs Mm -hmm. into the family room, those huge doors that just dematerialized in the bedroom reappeared on that stairway. That all happened through the use of a Ouija board. 
along so with just that. by inviting this this kind of terror in. Yes, so so it's by, not just a childhood game. It's not something fun to be messed not. around with or a lark. Even it though it's not. got Parker Brothers' name stamped on it, it's probably not a good idea to mess with a Ouija board. No, it is not. Scrying, I think, is the same thing. I mean, do you have the same kind of fears for those events as well? Anytime that you are conjuring spirits, I don't care how you're doing it, mm-hmm. it is super dangerous. A lot of people have almost scoffed that, that you and Ed for so long have said that so many of the things that occur are diabolical or demonic, mm-hmm. and they're not just hauntings of, you know, Uncle Ned who won't go away. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is your stand on that? Do you believe in the ghosts of our loved ones that are still haunting, or do of you believe course. that they're diabolicals? Right. Oh, my God, of course we believe okay, in good. human spirits. Well, I'm just trying to get clarification because, like I've said, what so many husband. people have mentioned for years that it's, oh, with the Warrens, everything is a demon, everything is diabolical, and I don't get that from you. That's why I was asking no, what your thoughts were. No, by no was. means whatsoever. Okay. My husband really gained a reputation for his vast knowledge of religious demonology. Mm-hmm. He was one of only seven lay people, and he would be called on all over the world for his knowledge of religious demonology by Buddhists, by Muslims, by Jews, by Anglicans, by Church of Scotland, by the Roman Catholic Church. They would say to Ed, where did you gain this knowledge? In in a way, it was a God-given thing to my husband. Mm -hmm. It definitely was. And I'll tell you something that happened to my husband as a boy. Okay. He didn't have the happiest of childhoods growing up. And as a result of that, he became a person of faith, but he didn't wear it on his sleeve. He didn't go around as any religious fanatic. Never did. Never. Mm-hmm. In a million years did he. Anybody that knew him, no, he didn't. He was a joker, kidder. That's what made him so real to the world, mm-hmm. you know, that he could speak on such a serious subject, be so serious, be so knowledgeable. And they would say, you, where did you gain this knowledge? You have so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. My God, I don't know anybody. Catholic priests would say it to him. Rabbis would say it to him. Where did that knowledge come from? He never, never, never in 27 years of lecturing did not have an answer. You know, that leads me to wonder, Lorraine, through all the years with all the violence and the diabolical and the throwing and the banging and the kicking and the screaming, have you ever just, did you ever just look at Ed and said, let's just quit, this is crazy? Never. Really, you were never afraid for your lives that that you made it to the point where you just wanted to be out of it? We truly honestly and sincerely believed that we were doing what God wants us to do. That's a great answer. Now let me ask you this. That that begs a question as well. Ed was approached by Buddhists, by Muslims, by uh, the Jews. Jewish faith and everything. If he was approached to help in these cases, and Ed came from a Christian background. He came from a Roman Catholic background. Right, yeah. and he was casting out in the name of Jesus Christ. Didn't that affect the religions that asked for his help? Didn't they realize that once he was able to do no, it with no. his... No, 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 okay. not really. No, he, oh, no. Well, he didn't no, go in and cast out very... a name of Buddha or, or oh, anything like oh, that, oh, right? Oh, let's straighten that right out. Right, that's what I'm asking. Uh, because, Dave, he was very ecumenical. Mm-hmm. 
where our work was concerned. Sure. He can help. Let's all right. Let's use the rabbi. He can help the rabbi to understand what has to be done. He's not going to do it for him. Oh, okay. And the rabbi is bringing in a minion of ten pious men from the temple, and they are casting out in their name. When Ed collapsed in 2001, we had just came back from working with Buddhist monks in the mountains, absolutely beautiful men of God. And we were there because of Ed's knowledge. During these exorcisms, they were casting out in their faith, Ed through his knowledge and me through discerning, were working together as a team to let them know what was going on. Oh, okay. That's how it was handled. All right, so so you did respect the religions of the yes. people who were asking for the help. Fed was going in there, I would think, you know, the, the Muslims or the Jewish faith or the Buddhists no, no, would go, no, oh, no, look, no. he said Jesus, no. and they're gone. Now maybe oh, no. we should oh, rethink no, our no, religion. No. no, dear, no. Okay. No, by no means whatsoever. We were very ecumenical and had the greatest respect in the world. We would kneel for the blessings of a rabbi, a monk, any religion, sure. as quickly as we would kneel the Roman Catholic priest. Ed was buried as the Roman Catholic that we grew up with, were married in. Our, our daughter and grandchildren and great-grandchildren all have been baptized in the faith. If you could impart any little nugget of wisdom to people to protect themselves, what can they do to stay away and stay clear from you know entering into these diabolicals and, and entering into the wrong things? The most important thing they can do is if they are people of Christian faith, if they are, mm-hmm. make sure that these children are baptized. If they are of the Jewish faith, make sure that these children are bar mitzvahed or where the, the, the girls are concerned. It's oh, Now I can't think of that name. Bat mitzvah. Oh, that's terrible. Or bat mitzvah, yep. Bat ba mitzvah, yep. yes, doing that. These are the things that are important because what happens is this. These people are calling on us for help. What is your religion? What is your religion? Not ours. What's yours? Mm -hmm. Where do you turn? Do you turn to Ed and Lorraine Warren? No, you have to turn to the church. That's right. Ed and Lorraine Warren can go in and document it, but you've got to turn to your faith. And that is what we tell people to do. So turn to your faith. Avoid things like trying to bring spirits into your world. You should just leave that be. If you have spirits, any deal with that. Conjuring, okay, any type any of kind conjuring. Of conjuring. Mm-hmm. Well, Lorraine, I really appreciate having you back with us on the show this evening, and I, I appreciate you coming back with us so soon after uh, your husband's passing. And You are very loved, very well thought of, and there's a lot of respect for you and Ed. We're sorry for your loss, and thank you very much for all the work that you have done and will continue to do in thank his you. name. Just pray for the soul of my husband. We certainly and will. And pray I'll continue to be guided to do his work and my own. And she did. Throughout her entire life, she continued to work as she and Ed had done. She showed up on shows like Paranormal State. She would still take phone calls at all hours of the day and night. She would still hold the hands of people that were going through traumatic things. And although she couldn't physically always be out there in the field, she was referring people and bringing peace to as many as she possibly could. Thank you very much for spending these two extra bonus nights with me as we reflect back on the life of a pretty remarkable human being. 
And I thank you all for making me part of your journey, like I made Lorraine part of mine. And I hope that the darkness is just a little brighter with the light of the guests that we share, like Lorraine Warren. I'll be back Friday with another brand new episode of the Paranormal News. We've got a special guest joining us for that. I hope that you'll tune in and check it out. And until then, in the honor of Ed and Lorraine Warren, hug somebody special. Make that phone call right now to say how much you love them. Because at any time, those people can be gone. This is the fourth anniversary of the passing of Lorraine Warren. She will be missed. Thank you for tuning in to the best in paranormal programming. I'm Dave Schrader, your host on this journey. This is the Paranormal 60.